Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This is Joan Nessel speaking on and for Radical Philosophy at 3CR. I can remember speaking early when I first arrived uh, to Melbourne at a program called The Women's Shed, and that was my introduction to the wonders of community radio, which are more important in the world now than ever. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. But the hearts of small children are delicate organs. A cruel beginning in this world can twist them into curious shapes. By Carson McCullers, The Ballad of the Sad Cafe, 1953. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And today we have Penny Mackerson in the studio and we're speaking this week about permanent care. Last week we spoke about adoption. Uh, welcome to the program again, Penny. Thank you, Beth. It's great to be back. Now, would you be able to explain what the difference is between adoption and permanent care? Well, there's a few differences. Um, the first one is that adoption is permanent. It's forever. Um, and uh, permanent care um, uh, ceases when the young person or child turns 18. Um, also in adoption, the child's name is changed routinely um, and in permanent care that's not the case. In adoption, a new birth certificate is issued because the uh, original birth certificate is is cancelled and a new birth certificate is issued as if the child was born to the adoptive parents. Right, now you're doing a PhD in this area. Could you tell us about your study so far? Yes, well, there hasn't been much research on permanent care. Um, it's a very a significantly under-researched area. So I want to look at the um, uh, history and the outcomes of, um, of permanent care, particularly so I'm looking back at what was intended when, when permanent care was introduced in 1992 and um, how well permanent care has been implemented and whether it's, you know, um, how, how well or, or not it's achieved its aims. Now, there were some legislative changes that came into effect on the 1st of March this year. Could you tell us about these? Yes, so the the changes affect um, the child protection legislation and the permanency legislation. So permanency being um, oriented to um, securing safe families for children um, who've been um, uh, come to the attention of child protection. So there's permanency planning is about um, there's a hierarchy really of of options, and the first is always um, uh, remaining or preserving the family unit, so the child remaining with their parents. The second option, if the child has to be removed for reasons of child protection, to reunifying the child with the, fa- with the parents as soon as possible. 
If that's not possible, um, then looking at extended families, so kin, a kinship placement um, for the long for raising the child, and then if that's not possible, it usually then goes to strangers or, or you know non kin placements. However, um, and you know the last resort is always. Um, Used to always be adoption, <laughs> um, or um, a not or a residential um, unit rather than a family-based placement. But the changes that were introduced um, and came into effect on the first of March of this year um, actually elevated adoption to above permanent care. So the order of priorities has become family preservation, then family reunification, then adoption, so adoption to strangers that usually means, um, and then permanent care, which is often with relatives or could be um, like a foster family or it could be relatives, um, and then um, a long-term foster care and the last resort is um, a residential unit. Um, And there are other things that come with that, like decreasing the amount of time. that families have to um, do the things they need to do to have the child return to their care safely. So you you mentioned about adoption with strangers. Is it fairly common for um, other members of extended family to actually adopt children? It hasn't been. um, There are still relative adoptions, um, but they're discouraged. Um, The family court hasn't wanted to do them for quite some time. They made uh, Changes were made in the Family Court of Australia in, I think, 2006, which really made adoption by relatives um, and step-parents, uh, you know, only under exceptional circumstances, and the reason for that being that it distorts biological relationships. So... Um, Sorry, the question was... Yeah, look, it it would do that and it would probably cause quite a bit of friction between the biological parents and family members who were adopting the child as well, wouldn't it? Well, that's right. It means that the biological... For example, if a family are divorced, a couple are divorced, that the the father of the children, um, if the stepfather, you know, the the mother remarries and the stepfather wants to adopt them, that the, the actual biological father has to relinquish the legal connection of being their father, the children's father. So um, obviously that's very confusing for children and it's it's not true um, and, you know, it's not, not considered to be in children's best interests. Mm. Now, will these changes lead to an increase or decrease in adoptions? That's the $64 million question. Um, the Department of um, Health and Human Services says that there will be no change to um, the rate of adoptions, but the fact is that prioritising adoption above permanent care would suggest that the framework is being set to enable that to happen. Now, the other thing that has to happen would be that the Adoption Act would have to probably be amended to enable dispensation of parental consent to be given sooner, Um, but that Act is under review at the moment by the Victorian Law Reform Commission, so it's possible, although I would hope not, and certainly Vanish has advocated strongly against relaxing the consent provisions. We think that they should be strengthened rather than made easier to dispense with. Um, You know, it's possible. So the the department says, no, they don't want to increase adoptions from out-of-home care, for example, but why would they firstly um, 
included option. It's never been referred to before in the child protection legislation. And secondly, why would they prioritise it above permanent care if there wasn't something? You know, it's it's they're not it's not clear yet. It's 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 quite inconsistent that they're saying no, we don't want to increase adoptions. But on the other hand, this this change has been um, brought in. So, how are these decisions made? Um, do you mean specific decisions about children or the decision about the policy and the legislation? Uh, both. Uh, well, the policy and the legislation, um, there are many ways that that can be instigated, but in this case it appears to be the Department um, of Health and Human Services has um, initiated the review of the child protection legislation. So in a general sense, that's where that seems to have come from. Um, and, and that was recommended because of the um, Protecting Victoria's Vulnerable Children Inquiry, the um, the report in 2012. Um, the recommendations were made out of that, but some of the, um, some of the legislative um, changes don't directly reflect what was recommended. So, again, you know, there was a trigger there, but some of the changes don't necessarily neatly, causally you know, um, link with that. In regard to specific decisions about children and what order they're placed on, that's that's the um, that's the children's court of Victoria. So that's magistrates make the decisions specifically about children. Um, and that legislation that we've just referred to also made several changes to not just the length of time families have to reunify, but um, the nature of the orders as well. Right now, children's court orders used to be fairly complex, weren't they? Um, Has this changed with the changing legislation? Well, the idea of the legislation was to simplify to fewer orders. Um, It's an interesting discussion about the orders because good practice can happen regardless of the name of the orders. I mean really the essence of child protection to return children to their families in safety or if that's not possible to secure homes for them somewhere else. It didn't really require a change of legislation to enable that to happen. So um, the complexity of the orders, that's really, you know, you can get around that. And I can give you an example of how um, some legislation, and whilst it wasn't here, it's a really clear example of how you can have different practices despite the legislation in New Zealand. Their adoption legislation, um, their act um, was introduced in 1955. They've still got that act in place. It was developed um, under the closed adoption system, the clean break theory, Um as a closed system, but in fact, in the 80s, New Zealand introduced open adoption practices, which you could say are not supported by that legislation, but it hasn't stopped those practices becoming the norm and becoming the practice and the cultural practice in, in the department that administers adoption. So similarly in the child protection program here, I mean, good um, case planning practice could have was able to happen under the previous legislation. So whilst everybody's saying, oh, these will simplify and make it make the order relate to what the case plan is, the case plan could have still been family reunification on, you know, several of the other orders. They didn't have to change to make that clear. Right. When you say uh, it was a closed adoption, do, does that mean that there was no information given to either the parent or the child about each other or 
or has has that sort of changed over time where you know because when, when parents sign the forms I mean the, the rest of their life is quite a long time isn't it and decisions they would have made then perhaps they would have changed and you know their circumstances would have changed and they would want to meet the child so even with closed adoptions is it possible for the parent to sort of come forth and say look um, if my child is trying to find me, you know, I'd like to, to put my um, details on a register. Well, indeed, in Victoria, that's what happened with in the 1984 Adoption Act. Um, the, the legislation changed to enable um, the adopted person to have access to um, identifying information when they turned 18 uh, and... Um, later provisions were made to enable relinquishing parents or parents separated by their children by adoption um, through adoption to also seek um, or get themselves on a register so that the, the young person or the adult by then would know that they wanted to have contact. So absolutely it's possible and, you know, that, ret- that legislation is always retrospective to enable that to happen. Now, are there time frames for parents to address any protective concerns? In the new legislation, yes. The time frame has been shrunk from two years to one year um, and it can be extended um, if the magistrate, um, if there's a clear and compelling case that it's likely that the child will be able to be reunified with their parents in the next year, but there's no provision for it to be extended beyond two years. Oh, and how has the access to supportive services changed for parents? Well, there's certainly the government, the Andrews government has certainly put in a lot more money. Um, I mean, under the previous government that those the funding eroded, but it remains to be seen whether the additional money will mean that parents can get access to those services quickly enough to be able to make the changes needed in that shorter time frame. So, um, I mean, there's a big emphasis on it. There's going, you know, there's a review that the Minister um, approved and uh, that is being undertaken by the Commissioner for Children and Young People in Victoria um, to look at the trends and what's happening and to get some feedback. It's probably a bit early to tell. It was meant to be, it's starting now, um, six months from implementation in March. Um, so it's probably going to be a bit early to tell, but um, it's very important to to start monitoring that because if parents can't get it, if, if there's no more services and they've got delays and they can't get access to services in that time frame, well, you know, that's a very punitive 12 months um, in that case. So it could, you know, it could work out to be very um, negative rather than a positive way of influencing you know, a more urgency about getting access to services to help support them and help improve their parenting. Now, have these changes impacted on the number of children there is in care? Well, they certainly weren't intended to, um, to, to, in, to influence the number coming into care. The idea was to help expedite children exiting care into either back home or with kin or um, in other permanent placement arrangements. Um, and it would be probably too soon to tell anyway right now um, if if children are going to be able to be expedited, if it's really going to help at this point. We probably won't know for at least a year. Um, but the, pro- the what they were, these changes were intended to address was really how long children were staying in care. 
I'm not actually sure that that's possible. I'm not, I'm not really sure <laughs> that that's going to work. And I'm not sure that it required a change in legislation to enable that to happen because I'm not, uh, it's not clear to me, and I read the report, Victoria, uh, protecting Victoria's vulnerable children, what the causal links are between the observations made about children remaining in care too long um, and what the reasons are for them not actually exiting care. So it, it's it's going to be an interesting um, review. Right, so what were some of the reasons? Um, that there, well, I, I was just looking at them this morning. One of them was that there wasn't a logical link between the order and the case plan. But as I said before, um, a case plan's process should be happening as soon as a child's removed. I mean, if a child's removed from home, there needs to be case planning happening as soon as possible to, to work on a plan about how, you know, is it, you know, can we get the child home? What needs to happen for that to happen? Or, you know, so um, I don't really... I'm wondering why, who was that confusing for? The family? Um, if they were told clearly by the child protection workers what they needed to do, it wouldn't matter what the order... I mean, you know, as long as the order wasn't obstructing what what the plan was. So that was one observation. Another one was it takes too long, like just over five years, once a child's um, brought into out-of-home care to then a permanent a, a final order. Well... That's an observation, but what's the causal link? Why is it? Why is it taking so long? What's the, what's the key? What, what's happening there? Is nothing happening once the child, you know, placed in out of home care? Or so, um, you know, to me, that's an observation, not a not a causal link. Like, what's causing that delay? Is it delays in the court? Is it delays in not having an allocated child protection work? Is it is it delays in getting access to services? It's really hard. From what I've seen, I haven't seen a causal link. And you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial and I'm speaking to Penny Mackerson about permanent care. Are there any safeguards in place for Indigenous children? Well, we've had the um, Aboriginal child care principle in place for quite a while and um, which, which is, you know, accepted in all states and territories. It's been accepted um, nationally. And within that, that is specifically safeguarded in the legislation and no child can be placed... Well, adoption for um, um, Aboriginal children is absolutely pretty much a no-go zone and so it should be because of the identity issues um, and the and the contact issues. But even permanent care for for permanent care to be recommended for an Aboriginal child, there has to be involvement of the relevant Aboriginal child care agency, um, uh, you know, in, involved in that case planning um, decision. So um, there is there's some safeguard, but of course that doesn't stop the children, the Aboriginal children, from being brought into out-of-home care at much higher rates than other children. So whilst there's a safeguard against the sort of most extreme um, outcomes um, that can disengage children from their families and communities. It doesn't. It doesn't stop them from being removed in the first place. I suppose there needs to be other safeguards put in place, like more assistance for families, doesn't there? Really, more services, more services, more services. Yes. So, um, do you think it will be easier for children to have contact or trace their birth parents? 
Mm, well, there's another change with the permanent care order that's come in with this legislation, which restricts contact between children and their families during the first year of the order to four times. Now, I'm not sure what that means, whether it means for you know, in-person contacts, whether it means for potentially phone contacts, whether it just means for contacts, and whether that means for contacts with each family member. Like, does that mean parents? Does it mean grandparents? Does it mean... I'm not really sure how that breaks down. It says that more contact can be arranged after, after the first year, but for contacts, if children have been having regular, you know, weekly or fortnightly or even monthly contact is not very much. And again, I haven't seen a reason for that. Um, like there hasn't been a rationale provided for why that's reduced. Is it is it um, child protection services that haven't got enough staff? Like I, I just, again, it's not clear to me what the rationale is there. It's not very good, I think, to, to just have a, a blanket rule like that. I mean, every case is an individual case, isn't it? And there's different circumstances involved with a child being put into permanent care. So, uh, you know, it seems very rigid. and It does, and it's a really good point you make. Um, and anything prescriptive like that, you know, there's going to be casualties and there, you know, you can, you, unintended consequences, I think that's the word or the term that comes to mind. And, you know, we saw that in the past with adoptions um, and, and you know, whenever there's anything prescriptive like that or people do it routinely, there are long-term consequences which weren't intended. So I think we could anticipate that. Now, with with all the new changes to the legislation and and everything, is do you think that children are actually able to make decisions about what they want and how much contact they want? Are their wishes sort of taken into consideration? Do you think more so than they used to be? Well, there has been an increasing um, um, focus on the rights of children and. Um, and their voices, but I think I think still there's probably more rhetoric around that than actual um, support to make it happen. Because for children to be able to really um, have a voice, they need to know all the options. They need to um, be given independent advice from their parents, from the child protection workers. They and you know that that takes resources. And if there's not enough resources now to make sure they have regular contact. Where are the resources going to come from to provide them with independent um, information and advice? Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Do you think that the system of permanent care is more likely for the child to retain their own sense of identity? Well, absolutely. And I think I think when we talk about children and their identity, we need to look cast the net further into the future. And you know, permanent care. They don't change their name unless, well, there are, you know, they shouldn't change their name because um, in the long run they're going to be an adult a lot longer than they're going to be a child. And if, if their birth certificate's changed, for example, as it is in adoption, you can't go back. Adoption is permanent. So at least if they decide they want to um, be more connected with 
a permanent care family. At 18, they can choose to be adopted as an adult. They can choose that. And there are some adult, adult adoptions every year in the county court. So some people actually do choose that if they're, you know, they're very connected and they want to remain, they really want to become their identity linked with their permanent care family. Um, so that's still there. And I, I personally think whilst, whilst I... It's hard for me to imagine that some people would choose that. At least I think they're doing that as an adult. Um, so identity-wise, you can't underestimate the power of of um, a birth certificate and your name, and it becomes more important as people get older. So whilst children might not be given many options and they might not realise at the time, it's very important later in their life that they retain their identity and their can so. There's a number of things in that, though. Their birth certificates are really important, underpinning part of that, but also obviously ongoing contact with their family members. Yeah, I think that even your birth has sort of given you, or it's given me a sense of identity because I was born in born in Sydney in ah. Crown Street, and I was a Crown Street baby, and I remember. My friend telling me, who still resides in Sydney, she said, oh, you you should see people. You know, there's all these people walking around the streets with T-shirts on saying, I was a Crown Street baby because they were, they were closing down the centre. And I thought, oh, and I was actually quite upset about it because I thought that's part of my identity and who I am because I was born in Crown Street with, you know, probably millions of other babies. But when she told me about that, I, I, I sort of thought, oh, geez, if I was in Sydney, I'd, I'd be wearing that T-shirt. That's a really interesting point you make about how you probably hadn't thought about it until the thought of that place no longer existing, not being there, um, you know, it was challenged you. And I think that's what happens to a lot of uh, adopted people as they get older um, it's when things happen that trigger them to think about their identity um, that it can really become, you know, bigger than Ben-Hur. Um, and, yeah, I had the same thing with the Vic- Queen Victoria Hospital um, in Melbourne no longer being there. At least there's there's some, uh, you know, a permanent exhibition of photographs and things and you can see what it was like um, when it was a, you know, thriving women's hospital um, before the 80s. Um, and you can go there. But um, it's very mixed for me, obviously, having been adopted from there. It was one of the two biggest programs, infant adoption programs in Victoria at the time. And um, so whilst I was born there, and it's quite important to me physically to to live close to that um, place, you know, geographically, it's very important to me. And um, I do go there from time to time, just have a wander through and look at the photographs. So you might find yourself doing that, Beth, when next time you're up in Sydney. <laughs> Yes, I might. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you very much, Beth. And I've been speaking to Penny Mackerson about permanent care. You are listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 a.m. I am Professor Jane Caputi. I teach at Florida Atlantic University in the United States, and I teach in a program for women, gender, and sexuality studies. Well, that's all we have time for today, and thank you very much, Penny, for uh, two 
fantastic interviews. We've had a few comments on Facebook about how informative and clear you sort of made the situation. And it's a situation that you don't really think about if you haven't been adopted. You, you just sort of take it for granted. So there was quite a few listeners out there that were very interested. So I hope it's given everybody some food for thought. 